0: Have you ever had an attack of the what-ifs? The what-ifs. You know, things are going fine, and then you thought, what if? What if? You know, what if I've got cancer and don't know it? What if my car breaks down now that I've maxed out my credit cards? Uh, what if my retirement uh, fund disappears, or Social Security goes belly up? Whatever if, what if whatever I'm counting on doesn't come true? You know, I think these are frightening thoughts, and, and I have a tendency to experience them quite regularly. Not quite as often today as I did when I had teenagers in the house, but those what ifs keep creeping in and and raising issues that make us a little bit apprehensive about life and about the future. But you know the most devastating what if of all is what if I don't rise from the dead? What if death is the end and there's nothing beyond the grave? may not have contemplated that. but That's the biggest what if of all. And some of the Corinthians had started believing that what if. They had yielded to the widely held Greek philosophy of their day that insisted that death was the end at at least for the body. You know, maybe there was some kind of spiritual resurrection and our our spirits would go back to wherever they came from or something like that, but surely a bodily resurrection is not possible. Well, apparently the Christians in Corinth didn't think through the implications of buying in to that kind of thinking. They just Bought into what those in the know said, what was taught in the academies and what was accepted by the masses. You know, after all, they didn't want to appear to be unlearned or childish in their thinking. So they just accepted commonly held beliefs without question. Well, Paul says to them, "Okay, all right, let's, let's assume they're right. Suppose there is no resurrection, then what? What must result if there is no resurrection? He says, think about it. It's utterly devastating. If the biggest what if of all is true, we have some serious problems. And he lists them for us. In 1 Corinthians 15. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we witnessed against God that He raised Christ whom He did not raise if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you are still in your sins Then those who have Fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Pretty strong words. Pretty strong words. You know, a Christian is someone who believes Christ. Arose from the dead, who has accepted the truth of and the implications resulting from the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But some of the Christians in Corinth were saying there was no resurrection of the dead. They probably really weren't thinking about Jesus when they said that. But when they said it, he had. To be included, because if a bodily resurrection is not possible, then Christ couldn't have risen either. You know, if God can't raise us, he can't raise anyone. Either he can or he can't. You can't have it both ways. Saying he raised Jesus, but he can't raise us. You know, just because we haven't yet died and been resurrected doesn't mean It can't happen. We can't limit God's power to our experience. If we do, then Jesus has not been raised. If we limit God to our experience, then the resurrection story is just that, a story. It's the product of deluded disciples and grief-stricken women if there's no reality in resurrection. If no one is raised from the dead, then Jesus hasn't been raised either. And if Jesus hasn't been raised, the gospel message is empty. The gospel. The good news, as we saw last week, is that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and was raised on the third day. If he wasn't raised, he's still in the tomb, and that is not good news. In fact, Paul says, if Jesus isn't raised, our preaching is vain. It's empty. Now, the word for preaching refers to what is preached, not to the activity of preaching. Paul is saying that if Jesus didn't rise, then there is nothing to the good news that has been declared among us. Now, some might object, insisting that, you know, even if the resurrection didn't happen, that much good has been done by preaching to mankind a message of love and goodness and hope. You know, lives have been changed, and and that's good. I remember years ago in, in Bible college, we had a very liberal Jewish rabbi who came into class and In questioning, he admitted he didn't even believe in God. And we were shocked. We said, well, why are you a rabbi? He says, because I'm still teaching good things. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. You know, Paul's response would no doubt be that while some good could come from it, It's not good news. It's not even news at all. Because without the resurrection, what we preach is no different than any other religion or moral teaching. We're wasting our time if we're not preaching something new, radically new and different. If there's no resurrection, just take your pick of any moral code or religion. One's just as good as the other. If there's no resurrection. The gospel message is empty. Without the resurrection. And that means our faith is worthless. You know, Paul made it clear that if our preaching is in vain, then our faith is in vain. Because it's built upon what we have been taught. In fact, everything we do as Christians, is to no avail if there is no resurrection. Our trust is misplaced. Our worship is a futile exercise. Our hope is groundless. There's no afterlife. There's no eternal life. There's only the here and now, and our faith will get us nowhere. Now, the good it might do could be done on a humanistic level without deception. At least then our life wouldn't be based on falsehood. And that's exactly what it would be based on if we held to the Christian faith and there was no resurrection from the dead. It would be a falsehood, a lie. And the scriptures wouldn't be true. You know, Paul said the apostles are false witnesses if there's no resurrection because they said there was. That means the apostolic witness is false. They were deceived at best and outright liars at worst. Their word cannot be trusted if they claim the resurrection true when in fact it is impossible. And if they were wrong on one thing, especially the central truth of the faith, they are no doubt wrong on other things. And even if they aren't, how can we know? If their word, which we believe to be inspired and divinely preserved for us in Holy Scripture, is false, then we might as well throw out the entire Bible. That contains falsehood. It's no better than a dime store novel. You can't just pick and choose and say, yeah, that's true. No, that's not. Once you throw out the fact that it contains truth, essential truth about the resurrection, the Bible is useless. It's useless. Now, again, you might object, well, that's not true. You know. It had a lot of good teaching in it. You know, the story of creation, laws for society, moral standards. It, it tells us where we come from and, and that we're something other than mere animals. You know, our nation was founded upon principles contained in it. It gives us the golden rule for living. Well, maybe so, but if there's no resurrection and it claims there is, then how do we know anything in it is really true. You know, it claims to tell us where we come from. But if it's wrong about where we're going and we have no future after death, maybe we are just animals. And maybe our nation is wrong. You know, maybe a socialistic, atheistic society would be better. And maybe the golden rule is nothing more than a ploy to get us to give up our rights without fighting for them. It's not true in one area. It cannot be trusted in any. The scriptures are false. Good for nothing if there is no resurrection from the dead. And if there's no resurrection from the dead and Christ hasn't risen and there is a god then we are still alienated from him because we are still in our sin you know our forgiveness depends upon the resurrection of Christ if Jesus didn't rise death won he wasn't beyond the reach of the penalty of sin himself. So, obviously, he couldn't pay for our sins. That means we are still cut off from God. We are still guilty of every selfish act we've ever committed. There's no way to wash the stain off our hands. No matter how hard we try to even the score, we can never make it up to everyone for the wrong we've done to them. Nor can we make it up to God for the pain that we've brought to Him. You know, justice demands the penalty be paid for sin. And if Jesus didn't rise, that means He couldn't pay it. We're still in our sin. We've got to pay the penalty ourselves. And the penalty is death. Eternal separation from God. And that means the dead are gone forever. If there's no resurrection, death is the end. Those we thought were merely asleep in Christ are really gone. They've perished. We'll never see them again. We'll never gather together around the throne. Death Cut us off from them forever. There's no future. There's no hope. There's no comfort. When someone dies, that's it. They're gone. It's futile to long to see them again. Without the resurrection, everything we ever hoped for and dreamed about is gone. And more than anyone else, we are to be pitied. We believed a lie. We built our life on a lie. Everything we did was based on a lie. We only had eighty or ninety years, and yes, I have up the numbers since I last preached that. <laughs> We only had 80 or 90 years and we didn't take them seriously. You know, we thought we had all eternity. So we didn't grab everything we could or cram all the living we could into life. We didn't worry about missing some of the gusto because we thought we had forever. We were deluded. We gave up our rights for nothing. We turned our back on some of the pleasures. We We were intended to have. We blew it. We only had one shot and we missed it. We wasted our life thinking we were saving it if there's no resurrection. So the resurrection is absolutely essential. If it goes, everything goes. Quite frankly, that's why it's the focus of every major attack on Christianity. Now, Christianity is just another attempt by man to civilize himself without the resurrection. But how can we know for sure <laughs> that we will rise from the dead? How can we solve this Crucial, what if? Well, books like Heaven is for Real and 90 Minutes in Heaven can't do it. Because we don't know what the experience of those who have been revived after a few minutes of clinical death really is. In fact, the evidence points in the direction of some kind of of out-of-body experience similar to those experienced in spiritualism, and mysticism for centuries. You know, those experiences may indicate that there's a realm beyond the physical, but it's not proof of life after death. It's not proof of our resurrection. Now, after I had written that and printed that Friday morning, I went home for lunch, and I got a text from Matt. I said, hey, Dad. I just heard on the radio that, that that book, Heaven's For Real, the kid who wrote it said it was a lie. He made up the story. I said, what? So I looked for the answers. I Googled it. And I found out he was a little bit wrong. It, it, it's not that the boy who had the experience in uh, Heaven is For Real denied it. It's another boy who along with his father, wrote about his experiences. And his book is entitled, The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven. I haven't made a movie of that one yet. and They probably won't now. Uh, it's been pulled by the publisher. Supposedly, in 2004, he and his dad were in an accident, and he was in a coma for two months. After he came out of the coma, he talked about going to heaven. And him and his dad worked together and wrote this book, and It's become a bestseller. In fact, I found this kind of humorous. It's been marketed by Lifeway Books, a very substantial distributor of Christian material. It was published by Tyndale Publishing. It's been marketed, along with those two books I mentioned, Heaven is for Real and 90 Minutes in Heaven, been marketed as heavenly tourism. (laughs) <laughs> I couldn't believe it Heavenly tourism By three books A trifecta They call it On heavenly tourism Well Apparently now that he's 16 instead of 6 He's come forward with the truth His mom and dad were divorced over the years I don't know if there's struggles over money or what She started writing to publishers a couple years ago saying, I don't think this thing's true. Well, the boy himself now wrote a letter to Lifeway. And he said, I made it all up. I made it all up. It's not true. And admonishes the publishers. And admonishes us as the church for believing this stuff. And, of course, the most unique thing of all, his name is Alex Malarkey. <laughs> no kidding. His name is Malarkey. <laughs> and people bought the book. Christians bought the book. It was republished again. It came out a new edition in, in, just last year, just called The Boy. It's malarkey. So if these books aren't true, or apparently some of them, and I question all of them, to be real honest, what proof is there? If we don't have the testimony of those who have gone to heaven and come back, what proof is there? Well, the reality is we do have the testimony of the one who's done that the proof of our resurrection is that jesus did in fact rise from the dead verse 20 goes on to say but but now christ has been raised from the dead and as you saw last week there were first hand witnesses to that fact And not only the apostolic witness, over 500 people saw Jesus alive after His death and resurrection. They saw Him alive at the same time and it changed them. They became brethren after seeing the living Christ. When Paul wrote this letter, most of those witnesses... We're still alive. And they could testify to the fact that Jesus rose from the grave. They saw Him. They were changed. Their lives were altered forever because they saw the resurrected Lord. The historical record regarding the resurrection of Christ proves that that a bodily resurrection is possible, and Paul tells us in the last half of verse 20 that Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits of those who are asleep. Now that's an interesting <laughs> phrase. We don't use it a lot today. It was used a lot in the Old Testament. The first fruits. When the crops came in, the first fruits were taken to the temple and offered. When the harvest was complete, the first fruits of the harvest were brought. The first fruits means a harvest is coming. Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits. It means others are going to rise also. So the resurrection stands. We have proof that Jesus was raised, and that means our own resurrection is possible. In addition to that, we have the promise of the risen Lord Himself that we too will rise again. That means the gospel message far from being empty is the most important message a man could ever hear. And our faith is not worthless. It means everything. It's worth everything. It will prove to be true. Our trust is not in vain. The Scriptures can be trusted. We can turn to them in complete Confidence. They reflect reality perfectly. What they say about man and society and eternal life is all true. And yes, our sins have been forgiven. Christ did pay the penalty for our sins. Death could not conquer Him. He conquered death for all of us. The penalty has been paid so we can come in blessed assurance before our Maker. And no, those who died in Christ are not gone forever. We will see them again. The dead in Christ will rise first with resurrected bodies. And then we, if we are alive at that moment, will be changed. Our body will become like theirs. And we will be together forever. So don't grieve over loved ones who are asleep in Jesus. The resurrection takes the sting out of death. And far from being pitied, we are the most fortunate of all. We don't have to act like animals to get the most out of life. We can be loving and forgiving and yielding. We have eternity to help keep our lives on this earth in proper perspective. And we are basing our life on absolute truth. There will be no surprises when we die, we know what's coming. The resurrection guarantees it. How amazing is that? And I pray that if you're here this morning, you believe that. I believe I, believe I will live again. I'm convinced I will live again because my Savior lives again. You too, if you're in Christ, will live again. It's guaranteed. There's no doubt about it. It's my prayer that you know your future is secure. And you've based your life, your present life as well as your future, on the resurrection of Christ. Now, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. His claim is based on what he did 2,000 years ago. He died was buried and rose again that is the gospel that is the good news that means he has gone before us he knows the way he is the way and like him we too will rise again we can count on that for better yet you can count on him you can count On a resurrected Christ. You can count on Him. Don't go through life. Or face death without Him.